Hello, I'm Martin Lawrence Bullard of Martin Lawrence Bullard Design. I'm Laura Umansky with Laura U Interior Design. I'm Bridget Coulter, Bridget Coulter Design. I'm Tom Stringer with Tom Stringer Design Partners based in Chicago. I'm Jamie Rummerfield and Ron Woodson, and we're Woodson and Rummerfield's House of Design. Hi, I'm Jeff Andrews of Jeff Andrews Design. Hi, I'm Jay Connold um, with Full C Design Group. Hi, I'm Alex Papakristidis from AP Interiors, and you are listening to Convo by Design. Convo by Design. Convo by Design. I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, a podcast for the design and architecture community. And today on the show, you're going to hear from Ian Love, interior designer, musician, and designer of functional art. You might have noticed that this year I am introducing you to more artisans than in years past. That's because these artisans need some exposure to specifying designers and because specifying designers need access to new creative types for their projects. I'm not anti-establishment. As a matter of fact, I am pro-establishment. When run smoothly and properly and effectively and efficiently, absolutely. In the A&D industry, the establishment is mostly made up of the trade magazines. The majority of major brands continue to use the trade pubs as their primary source for deployment of their advertising and marketing funds. At the same time, over the past few years, many, not all, but many of the trade pubs have cut down on editorial page counts, furloughed or outright fired much of their editorial staff, or simply chosen to focus the remaining editorial focus on celebrity and celebrity designers in the hopes that it will raise awareness and profile leading to more buzz. That may be true, and I'll take it one step further. That may be good. Design is universal in that good design makes life better, full stop. Exposure to good design can't be a bad thing. But the majority of those who would like to upscale their design, look, let's be honest, they don't live in $35 million homes. They can't spend $500,000 on their new kitchen, and they might never be able to afford a celebrity designer or live in their Malibu home while the Aspen house is being redone. But the majority of work and working design professionals today are neither celebrity designers nor architects, and they produce exceptional design that in most cases nobody but those living with will ever see. Except if you listen to Convo by Design. That's my goal. I want you to know the really interesting creatives out there and assist designers as they look to identify and specify new work, like that of my guest today, Ian Love. You'll hear his story right after this. For over two years now, you have heard about my partnership with Thermosol. So you know that I have extremely high standards for Convo by Design partnerships. Thermosol is an extraordinary partner because there is this rare combination of intuitive design with exceptional performance. They have state-of-the-art facilities located in Round Rock, Texas, and a company that's about to celebrate 65 years offering excellence in form and function. The Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series presented by Thermosol is a programming feature that regularly showcases remarkable design talent and how they do what they do and the manner in which they do it, allowing designers to emulate successful strategies and make smarter clients who know what questions for of top professionals. If you want to understand more about this company and their history, please check the show notes for the link to episode 221 with Thermosol third generation CEO Mitch Altman. He explains the history behind the company and really that's what makes this company so special. Combine that with the cutting-edge technology, their world-class domestic facilities, and you have a company delivering predictable elegance upon which you can rely. And nowadays, how important is that? Thermosol.com. You know what's funny? Because you were talking about your band in the 2000s. For me, like music stopped. I mean, I hate to say this because I don't want to age my date myself, but it's kind of like music stopped, you know, after the, after the 
you know, mid two thousands. Yeah. I mean, that's about where, yeah, I mean, I'm 47, you know, we put out a record. I mean, I've been playing music my whole entire life, but the band I was in put out a record, maybe 2001. I want to say we we're on Island records and Atlantic records. And the singer of the band was in a, another band on Island records before that called quicksand. And it was, you know, the late nineties, mid nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. It was, it's a cool time for music, you know? It was a very cool time for music. And because I was in Dallas at the time, I was working with bands like, like Ben Folds Five and Radish and, you know, um, Tripping Daisy, Cowboys and Indians, oh, cool. Ugly Mustard on the industrial rock side. I mean, there was a, there was a lot going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, it was that was a really fun time for music. And it was it was ubiquitous, too. You had you had like a band like Alanis Morissette when ja- Jagged Little Pill came out. And it was the first time that I can ever remember in music before, like before the Foo Fighters or before bands of that ilk, Queens of the Stone Age, where like Alanis Morissette, you would have a track from Jagged Little Pill on the alternative rock station, the heavy rock station, the AC station, adult contemporary for those in our design audience who have no idea what radio formats (laughs) are. Um, CHR contemporary hit radio, you would have you mm-hmm. would have her playing on all these because at the time it was like music was music. It wasn't so tightly formulaic and, and formulated. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. People always ask me now, like with design, because I'm pretty new at it, like what are the similarities? You know, because it is like a big, okay, you're a musician, now you're like a furniture maker, designer. It's interesting to meet someone else that went from music to design. You know, it's uh it's an interesting question. <laughs> well, it, and, it, and it's interesting, too. And I want to get into your work in just a minute. But it, it, what's fascinating for me is that, you know, my my path took a, a bit of a turn, a, a left hand turn as well, because I went from mm. doing music at the alternative station to doing sports. And I was the director of, of motorsports for CBS in Dallas later. So I went from from music to NASCAR and then into design. And I, this is kind of where I wanted to start with you. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of sort of changing direction yeah. and the pivot. I'm, I'm just enamored with the pivot and the ability mm-hmm. to when you hit a certain point, y- you have the chance to sort of start over and do it the way you wanted to do it. What was the impetus for you? What was the moment where you were like, hey, I wanna go do this now. I wanna go make furniture. I wanna go make art. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was definitely a process, but, and it came through a really difficult transformative time and in my life so you know I was doing I was I dropped out of high my high school dropout I went to the the performing arts school in the city the fame school like the tv show you know and I kind of hated it I dropped out in 10th grade played in punk bands toured all over the world slept in you know abandoned abandoned buildings toured in squats you know like living in a van like all that sort of stuff and then you know, got signed to record labels and toured all over the world, all this sort of stuff. And then ended up doing music for TV shows and commercials and film. I just kind of like fell into it, which is the way I've done everything. It's just like, I'm just going to do what I want and because I'm passionate about it and maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. So when I was like 40, I guess, or 38 or 39 or 40, my mom got cancer. I was doing like music for TV shows uh, for the the last like five or six years of my kind of music career and just like working all the time. And then I had to take care of my mom for those two years while she was getting sick. And I um, started like making things around my house in Long Island that I have. And and I didn't know anything about anything. I never picked up a tool or or anything like that. And the guy that was like cleaning my pool, kind of like I befriended him, this guy, Joe, and he also sold, sold firewood. And he got fired one day and then he just like dropped all this wood in my driveway. And I had no idea what it was. It just looked like just wood. I don't know, like logs, you know, I don't know what to do with that. So I went and visited him where he sold firewood and he had this crazy like two acre property and just had thousands of trees stacked on each other. And he started chainsawing them up in front of me and kind of like teaching me about all these trees. And I just kind of got enamored by it. So I bought a chainsaw sort of like hacking into this stuff and, you know, wasn't very good at it and knew nothing about it, but kind of fell in love with it. And, and it was, you know, it was while my mom was sick and dying. And there was this like thing of like trying to, uh, 
trying to make these things that were kind of like falling apart and rotting and make something beautiful out of them. And, and uh, it sort of started like that, the real like sculptural furniture thing. And, you know, I just went full on. And, you know, by the time the two years were sort of over, my mom passed away and all that sort of stuff happened. You know, I stopped doing music because I couldn't really do it anymore. And I just kind of went for this kind of full on. And there was something like meaningful and it was passionate. And then when I made the connection about what was going on in my life internally, it, it, it I really doubled down on it, you know? It's just something, you know, it's amazing. The, whether you're good at it or not, the, the process of putting your hands on something and working it into something else is both healing constructive um it's emotionally satisfying it's incredibly frustrating but gives you kind of like this sense of purpose um Mm. i i understand where you're coming from it's so amazing um i saw a picture on your website of you standing on this stack of logs that's joe's property yeah that's where i that's where i go (laughs) and i i love it and i want to share I just share a story with you because um, I, I mentioned before I hit the little red button that I'm working on a design house project here in Tulsa. One of the things that I had always wanted to do was I've always wanted to learn to turn. Mm. I've always wanted to turn. I've always, I just look at it. It's like, that is just the cool to turn something like this into something like that. I just mm. always wanted to do it. So when I got to Oklahoma, they have the, the, and who knew this? They have the Northeastern Oklahoma Wood Turners Association. Wow. So, yeah. So I joined and it's a bunch of old cool. guys. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a bunch, it's a bunch of old guys in a, in a warehouse with lathes. And, um, you know, I kind of, I learned, I learned how to do this. And mm. as amazing as it is, it's just fascinating what you can do with a piece of wood. It's amazing. It's like... I mean, I thought like growing up being a musician and, and like being a high school dropout, it's just thought I, it's something I thought I would do forever, you know? And it was like this dream I had when I was a kid. And, and, you know, when I started getting really getting into this and it actually started with like landscaping. So I got really into gardening at my house in, in Long Island and my hands were just in the dirt all the time. And I, I mean, to the point where, you know, I gave myself like, trigger finger and hands maidens me all this stuff that just like I was just working like working it you know but then I realized like I love working with my hands you know and then when I started to like work with these the wood and it's all local it's all from like right where I live in Long Island and I started making this connection you know between the material and the earth and what's going on and the history of it and how long it's been there and cut it open and it's like it's like opening the best Christmas gift ever. You know, every time you cut into one of these trees, it's, you know, I was just telling someone the other day, like the first, right when you cut into like a, a log, it's the most beautiful it's ever going to be. And then it starts like deteriorating and oxidizing and all this stuff. And then like my, my responsibility is kind of to get it back to that initial, like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen like when you first cut it open, you know, and how do you have that character in the final piece, you know? And a lot of times it's like, you know, I didn't know anything what I was doing. I didn't know about anything about design. So it was like, you know, a lot of designers, like they have a a design and they figure out the, um, you know, the material that will work with that. But for me, it's kind of the other way around. It's like, I get the material and then that's the most important thing. Like what's the design that's going to work with this material? Well, and, and, but because of that, so here's the, I have this conversation so often because with creators, so there's this, there's this double edged sword, right? On, and the sword is your design business. One side of it is the need to be creative and create and develop and come up with something amazing. The other side of it is the one that is the side that, you know, for, for me anyway, as I've seen it kind of dulls faster. And that's the business side of it. Like, how do I keep the business side sharp? If I'm so busy working on 
the craft and developing pieces and working on art, you know, I'll work on something, I'll work and work and work and it's not done yet. So then you're working a little bit more and finally you get, you get it right now. It's done. It's a headboard. It's, it's some, it's a wall piece. It's a, it's a stool. Now you're done. You're not a manufacturer. So you're not producing the same piece. You're not replicating it over and over and over again. So I get how you approach the creativity. I can actually see it. I can see it in your face. I can see it in your history. I can understand how you got from point A to point B. How did you address the business side of it? A musician, a high school dropout, someone who, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that you're the kind of person that when, when the BS gets to be too much, you're going to look for something that can keep feeding the creative side. How do you handle the business side of this? In, I'm still learning, but you know, when I really decided to do this, I, um, I basically had some, I had some money that I made from music and I took like, I think a hundred grand or something and put it, you know, opened up a new LLC and a design thing. And it's just me. It's like, I'm going to go for this. And I'm, if I have to spend all this money, I'm just going to spend it. And that's that. And that was like probably four or five years ago. And, and I didn't really make very much money, if anything, for the first couple of years, you know. And but one thing that did happen is I just made as much stuff as I possibly could. And I created this like kind of a bunch of things. And then a friend of mine who was in the design business says, well, you need to make a deck. I was like, what the hell is a deck? You know, so they explained to me like what a deck was. And then I'm like, how do you make a deck? And then. You know, I hired a friend of mine who's a great photographer and he photographed all these things I made and, and I watched them. So then I learned how to do it so I could do it then, you know. And then my friend, uh, John Edelman, who's, uh, you know, the, the design within reach guy, you know, uh, I knew him from 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 something else. And I, and I emailed him, I'm like, would you mind taking a look at like the stuff I'm doing? And he didn't know I was making anything. And he said, I think you're onto something here. Like. So I decided to do like one of those ICFF Javits, you know, Jacob Javits show. And I got like a small booth and, you know, it was a lot of money for me at the time. It was like whatever, five grand or something like that. And, you know, it was like my first kind of pieces and I just threw it all in there. But, you know, just and it was probably only a year into doing it, maybe something like that. And, you know, I sold a couple pieces there and like people like, um, ABC Carpet and West Elm were like starting to talk to me about like, yeah, do you want to make stuff for us? I was excited, of course. And I asked my friend John Edelman, it's like, hey, you know, ABC Carpet's interested in doing something. And he's like, don't do it, dude. Like, just I'm telling you, go do like direct to trade stuff. I'm like, I don't even, what does trade even mean? I don't even know what any of this stuff he's talking about means. And then my other friend, Jessica, who was in the business, told me the, kind of the same thing. And I just kind of went with that. And But people are interested, you know, and it was still very early and kind of, you know, rough. But I think I knew right then I was onto something. And then the business stuff, just like it took a couple of years. But, you know, I got like my first big job maybe two years ago with a... Uh, Gensler doing this big installation in the World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower, and they really liked it. And then they hired me again to do this Amazon Music Office, this 27-foot sculptural reception desk and 18 pieces of furniture and this like flagship office in Brooklyn that they did. And it kind of like that was my first year that I was like, oh, okay, like it's paying off now, you know. And now it's kind of like figuring all that stuff out still, but it's 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 working out pretty well. Talk to me about your, your process for, do you, do you do collections? Do you do one-off? Do you work primarily with, and I love it now that you know what the trade is, do you work primarily with the trade? Do you still do trade events? Do you, do you, have you, have you changed and do you do um, collections, branded partnerships with, with other showrooms and manufacturers now? I mean, you know, when I first started doing like the, I did like a couple of the wanted design shows in the last like year or, or, or two or something like that. And they're all about like, show your new collection. And they would say, what's your collection? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, 
I don't know what that means even like my collection I just make stuff I guess that's my collection I don't you know it's all like one of a kind it's not really repeatable but really it's like you know um so I don't yeah I don't I don't think I make collections but so now I I started uh selling stuff through this interior designer out in um in the Hamptons Michael Del Piero who's like a great kind of awesome interior designer and she has this cool store out where I live in the Hamptons and and uh you know I just kind of like cold dm'd her on Instagram because I followed her and loved like what she was putting up and I was like she lives in the Hamptons where I live and I don't know maybe she would like my stuff so you know she wrote back it was like you know I get a lot of dms and most of them aren't right but I really love your stuff can you make me stuff for my store so she started carrying those like hand carved stools and side tables maybe two years ago and it's probably sold like 40 or 50 of them in the last two years which is kind of a lot you know so I know they're like oh people like them you know and uh but other than that no it's just the interior designers it's all been word of mouth you know it's like one it's the same way with my music career it's like one thing kind of leads to the next thing like I didn't I didn't uh, seek out to make music for TV shows, but somehow I met a music supervisor who liked my music, and all of a sudden I'm doing it, and I'm doing TV commercials because I met some ad agent guy. It's the same with this. Like, you know, I meet someone who recommends me for some weird Gensler job to, you know, make a 16 foot diameter root system hanging from the ceiling in the World Trade Center, and they're like, "All right, let me." try this guy Ian and then that leads to another Gensler job and that leads to this other thing and this other thing and before you know it you know you've got a good handful of clients you know so it's interesting because like you know it's very it goes parallel with my music career and anything else that I've done I just kind of like just go for it and and don't you know I think I just work hard and I'm passionate about it and I think that maybe shows through in some way, you know, and I'm not afraid to put myself out there, you know? I think um, that, so a couple of lessons here, first of all, putting yourself out there, which really is the most important thing. The other thing is being able to present yourself as, as like, look, I'm I'm a creator and there's the dog, by the way, I'm a Mm -hmm. creator and I love to create. And so I make what I love. The other thing too, and I kind of want to drill down on this a little bit is letting perfection be the enemy of the good, right? I've, I've heard that quote. I don't know who to attribute it to. I certainly didn't create it, but I, I've, I love that quote because as a content producer, I make mistakes all the time. It's really interesting. I mean, you know, as a musician, you know this too, when you're recording something, you don't, you don't ever play when you're making a record, you don't ever play the track perfect unless you're like some amazing jazz ensemble and you're just going to go live and put it straight to wax. And that's just how it is. But most people, you know, when you're making a record, you have, you have individual performers and then they, everyone does their individual part. And then you have music uh, engineers who will engineer it so that it sounds the way that it's supposed to. And, I feel like the business that we're in, what you do is you create something that provides an emotional, a visceral, a visceral and a, an experiential response for the clients of the designers you're working with or for the end user. Yeah. You know, when do you know that your work is done? It's, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting because there's this parallel with me at the same time I was starting to get into this. I was... Oh, my mom was getting sick. I started like having these massive acute anxiety panic attacks, which I never had before to the point where I was like passing out, hitting my head, you know, crippling, just like couldn't move. And I started to do uh, transcendental meditation like five, six years ago, something like that. And it, it, I didn't know it at the time, but slowly but surely it just like really changed my life and it opened up you know, part of the thing that I think it did for me was open up this creative aspect of my brain in an unconscious way that I really trust now. And I really believe that there's, it's an intuitive process that happens between like me and whatever the material is. And it's way bigger than me and it. And, um, and I, and I've learned to really trust, trust that process, you know, and, and a lot of stuff that happens happens out of frustration and mistake. 
and I keep working through it. I work through it. And, you know, the process a lot of times is like, I have an idea, I start getting into it. I start carving away in these things, something wrong happens. And I think it's horrible and I'm totally upset, but I work through it and I keep going. And then all of a sudden it's something else and a new spark kind of comes, you know? And I know when it's done, when it's just, uh, I don't know. I just know when it's right, you know? And, and now, now I've got it down to pretty good, like time system where I can make a lot of these things, you know, especially this, I mean, I'm mostly talking about the sculptural stuff, you know, where I'm really just carving from whole pieces of wood and logs and all these sort of things. Um, so I believe in like, I'm always trying to remind myself, like the mistakes are good. The mistakes are good. Work through it, work through it, you know? And a lot of times my favorite pieces are the ones that like, oh, why did I do that? Ah, oh, that happened. The angle grinder, like got out of my hand the wrong way and it hit that part. And I, now I can't do that idea I had, but whoa, this is kind of cool because this is a new idea, you know? So I believe in like this thing, this synergistic aspect that's happening. You know, and I trust that. I trust the process. You're listening to my conversation with functional artist Ian Love. We'll be right back. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires, manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, It is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit franzwigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? (laughs) F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. And that's where the joy is, right? It's this when something happens organically. And, you know, if you, I would venture to guess that if you tried to make something exactly like something else, you probably couldn't do it. You know, well, just I can't. I can't. Yeah. It's Nor like would you want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, there are things you know, that, the, that are repeatable now. You know, there's like designs that I can kind of repeat, you know, but, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to like, you know, make things like perfectly square or something and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I don't even draw. So I can't like, when people ask for a sketch, I can't do it. I've taught myself like a simple CAD program where I can kind of do stuff, but I'm very transparent about it. Like it's not going to look the way you're going to have to kind of trust me. And, you know, I, I did this Amazon music job, a 27 foot sculptural reception desk with no drawings, no nothing to that. And they just trusted me because they knew what I did and how I did it. And, you know, that was like the biggest job I've ever had to that point, you know, and and for a big place. And it was kind of cool. I didn't realize it at the time, but it's kind of a big, it's a big ask for someone like me, you know? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's going to be great, Jeff Bezos, you know, whatever. Like, (laughs) and it was. As part as part of that conversation, so where we find ourselves these days, designers, you know, again back to this design house that I'm working on. We had a there was a console that was specified for it. And by the way, it's so funny. I, I tell these stories so often. I, I'm shocked that I don't get more complaints from people who listen to the podcast. It's like I've heard that story like a dozen times. We stop already, but it, it it bears repeating here because this console was a you know a $2000 console and the quote to ship it was $5000 so $7000 all in for a $2000 console last you know last August September and there was no way we were doing that and what I did was I reached I, I was looking for a local artisan here in Tulsa found a guy who made this console out of out of reclaimed maple it's mm-hmm. it's amazing and a root ball that was very similar to I asked him 
to ideate something with this other console as inspiration mm. so that he could create something completely different, unique and, and special to him. And what we came, what he came back with is not perfect by any stretch, but it's amazing. Mm. And I feel like that's part of what designers are looking for now on behalf of their clients. You know, the idea of the local workroom has just exploded over yeah. the last two and a half years. And I would imagine that for someone like you, who is a very unique creator, this is turning into a, a great deal more business. So at the same time, how do you stay true to the art? How do, you, how do you stay true to the work and grow exponentially? Like, you know, you, everyone seems to want to do without allowing that to sacrifice yeah. the quality of the quality of what you do or this this feeling of unbearable weight like you've just like the the art has become a job now yeah i mean i've been I've, that, that's kind of the point where, where i'm at like a, it's like okay is it time to grow is it time to hire you know a full-time person to help me and i make everything my hand is on literally every part of the process from chainsawing the log to like the final coat of wax that goes on it you know and everything in between and you know and it's getting busy you know i'm getting like i just got picked up by uh blackman cruise and in, in la the store that's carrying all these uh you know carved tables and might do some stuff at fair in new york and so it's like it's it's doing plus orders you know like from designers or custom things and I think, you know, what I've realized is like, I don't really want to grow my business to the point where like other people are necessarily making it or it's being shipped out somewhere to make or, or it's, it's, you know, uh, like I have, I still, I'd rather make less money and have a decent, okay life and living and still have my hand on all this stuff and kind of do what I want to do and stay in my wheelhouse, uh, whatever wheelhouse I choose to be in the moment. And then, you know, figure out a way to like mass produce some of these things or grow it to some, there's enough people doing what I do. There's enough people making live edge tables and coffee tables and all these things to take care of the world. Like I just kind of want to, you know, again, I'm 47. Like I just kind of started doing this not that long ago. I would love to just like have a, you know, okay life where I can pay all my bills and do what I want and work when I want and be creative because I love it, you know? So I don't necessarily want to like grow it to some big, big thing. You know, I'm happy like having things, you know, all over the country or all over the world here and there. And it's really like, I'm kind of viewing it from an artistic standpoint, you know, in some way. That seems like the healthiest way to approach it. At the same time, what do you, so what do you love working with most? And the other question is, you know, now that there's this shift to a, to an artisan, I don't want to call it a motif because it's not, but, more people are looking for something experiential. It's funny because for years I would just rail on millennials. I, I would hate this whole, I, I, everything needs to be special. And it's, you know, my life has everything's everything's so special and unique. And when it came to design and everyone was like, well, how do you reach millennials? What do they want? What do they need? Turns out end of the day, the, this millennial generation has made a, phenomenal, remarkable, and incredible contribution to society in mm. this, you know, it was so easy to make fun of millennials who were living at home in their parents' basement. But at the time when they're trying to decorate said basement, the idea was, I, I want to take something that I absolutely love. I want something, a piece, one thing, whether it's a, a console or a bureau or a sofa or you know, on, on the fashion side, if it's a watch or a pair of sneakers or whatever it is, I want something that just makes me happy every day mm. I see it and every day I touch it and look at it, just brings me joy. Mm. And then everything else I need, 
I can use a high-low mix philosophy and, you know, I can go to Target, I can go to Ikea, I can go to Walmart, you know, I can, I can get other things. I can go for a walk and pick up a branch and, you know, bring a branch home and cut off the ends and put it on a thing. And there's a piece, you know, that, that adds yeah. to the overall decor. But this idea that surrounding yourself, not just with super lux, not just with whatever's most expensive, not just with whatever's the latest from Italy, but a piece that you can go and look at and enjoy every single day. It just makes you happy and, and fill in the rest with things that complement it. Yeah. It seems like that's where we're going. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's why I kind of like one thing I love doing some of these shows that I, that I've done. I mean, the ICF I've wanted show is like more trade, but you know, the Brad Ford field and supply show is like, there are people just walking around buying your stuff and looking at your stuff, just like people, you know, that want it for their houses or their extra house or their apartment in Brooklyn or whatever it is. And it's pretty awesome when they just, you know, when people really fall in love with these things that I'm making, it's such a good feeling. And, you know, and, and, you know, as far as like getting back to the business stuff and price points and all these sort of things, like, you know, there's a handful of people who do these like hand carved, you know, little side table things, you know, you know, Caleb Woodard, Kieran Kinsella, and they're really high end, like top notch, so talented, amazing, expensive, not everybody can afford them. And then there's like, you know, the stuff that comes from Indonesia, that's like, 700 bucks or whatever it is and you know who knows who's making those things and i i think i'm okay with being this middle ground where you can get something that's tells a story has a feel to it and a person gets a connection to this piece it's handmade it's local there's so much that went into it but it's also affordable you know like somewhat affordable and it's not just for like, you know, an extremely wealthy person's second home in Whereverville, you know, like it can be for, you know, a family, uh, you know, their, their apartment or it's interesting now that people are like buying my things other than interior designers at some of these shows, like who's buying them, you know, it's like some grandmas are buying them and they just fall in love with it. And they're like, can I spend this amount of money? And, you know, their daughters, they're just like, mom, do it. Like, this is so cool. You'll love it. You know, and I love that. It's just like seeing where these things end up or the millennials that buy them that like, you know, and I go deliver to their awesome apartments in Manhattan and they have beautiful taste and it's gorgeous. And the pieces look amazing in their place, you know? So I love that. It doesn't have to just be you know, in, you know, a sitting room in the Hamptons or in Aspen or in wherever, in the Hollywood Hills, you know, that it can be kind of anywhere, you know, and it's not, it's precious, but it's not too precious, you know, like, and I've gotten it down now where I make these things like pretty consistently and I'm constantly making 10 of them all of the time. And the material is like kind of free, you know, which is a big thing, you know, and I've invested in all the tools and you know, I put all this time and effort into it so I can make it at a, a price that is affordable for people and works for me too, you know? And I don't want to gouge people. Just because someone else can sell one of these things that's similar for $6,000, I don't want to, I don't know if that's right for me, you know? Like, I'd rather keep it in the price point where more people can kind of afford it, you know? Do you, do you know your species? My gosh, yeah. I mean, this guy Joe taught me every literally every you're talking about wood, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course I'm talking about what what made me think of it is that is that I, I was recently um showing someone one of the bowls I turned was this sculpted hackberry. What's Ooh, that? You have one there by any chance? Near you or not? Okay, you know what? Uh hold hold that hold you that. Don't have I'm gonna go through. I would love to you see know, it. You know, I'll though. take I'll take a picture and, and I'll send it to you. Um okay but it was a spalted hackberry. Mm. And one of the things that I just found, because when I was turning it, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm not a species expert on the wood yet, mm. but I'm, I'm trying to, and I want to get there because it's just, you know, to so many people, wood is wood, but it's not. Oh, um, it's not. And, 
and the fact that it's spalted was so spalting is when a when within the wood this fungus begins to grow and it creates like this blackened root system within the wood so that when you start working the wood and these it's like veins these veins appear yeah they come from a disease which is cool yeah and it's just this veining that's gorgeous you know it's a black veining against a really light hackberry it's just amazing so um with that, how has that changed learning the species of wood and learning their, te- their, their sort of their tendencies? Mm-hmm. How has, how has that changed what you do and how you do it? I mean, it's the, the wood itself is like, you know, I've, I've figured all that stuff out for in the, in the moment, unless, you know, it's either like way, way too rotted or something. And I just can't work with it at all. Or, or it's got the spalting or all that stuff. What I'm experiencing now is like, okay, how do I make these things? So, you know, when someone uh, says, hey, well, these, I want to order these for, you know, someplace in Turks and Caicos in the Caribbean, will they hold up? I want to order these in for, you know, Dubai, will they hold up? You know, or will they hold up in a, in a van going to LA? it takes two weeks, you know? So all that now that's when I start to get into like, okay, now I have to really, how can I make these things where they're stable enough and they'll, they will hold up forever, you know, um, not just locally, you know, so that I'm really starting to get more into that process because people are wanting them kind of all over the place, you know, all over the country or ship them or whatever. And, you know, I stand by my works. I want these things to like not show up messed up. So how do I dry them? How do I reinforce them in some way? So certain ones are easier than others, you know, like walnut is really a great wood to work with. Um, uh, Maple can be like a little iffy. Oaky oak can be a little bit iffy, but you know, there's like kind of tricks to this thing that I'm, I'm teaching myself and coming up with, with, to keep them more stable and all that sort of stuff. So just to dig a little deeper in that, because you touch on something that is really, really important. And I, I learned this, you know, look, I'm a native Angelino. I'm born and raised in LA. I'm it's, you know, up until recently, you know, it was always 73 and sunny, you know, but you're at the beach, you're in the desert, but you're at the beach. So humidity is really not an issue. Okay. So I moved to the Midwest to work on this design house project and it was really interesting. So, you know, this week it's 103 and, you know, it rained last night. So you're talking 60, 70, 80% humidity this winter. It was, you know, it got down to 15 degrees with 10% humidity Mm. and people who aren't, who aren't having this conversation, your reaction is, is exactly what, what I went through. Um, People who are not used to having this conversation are saying, well, you know, it's so what, but when you make wood furnishings, when you make wood art, you know, it's really important to understand when you're buying wood art, when you're buying wood, anything to understand that, you know, humidity and temperature have so much to do with the longevity of, of the product. Yeah. And, you know, art is art. Art is supposed to change. Nothing lasts forever though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I, 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 you know, some of the, the Nakashima stuff, when you read about him talking about his furniture and, you know, he's the master of this live edge kind of stuff, but even he says like, there will be more cracks. It's meant to be used. <laughs> you know, that's part of the beauty of it. Now, these things I'm making, they're different than like, you know, I do make, you know, big dining tables and coffee tables that are slabs and milled stuff and kiln dried and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, I think the thing we're talking about are these sculptural carved pieces that I'm I'm making that are coming from giant logs. Those are difficult. You know, there's bugs, there's organic material, there's, there's uh, water, there's all of these things. And you know, I've done it enough. I've made so many of these things now that now I know kind of what to look for and what I have to do to reinforce it, whether it's inlays or when it, you know, giving it a couple months after I start it for the cracks to open and then flood it with resin and then sand off all of the resin 
but the resin's still inside, so it's holding it together better. There's like some tricks that it's a real pain. It's honestly, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, but you know, I really, what I don't want to happen is it to show up somewhere and I get a call from them and say, Hey, you know, this happened, it, it's falling apart or the crack opened up too much or there's bugs, whatever it is, you know, cause I'm going to feel terrible and I'm going to have to make another one and it's not going to be the same. It'll be great too, but you know, I, again, I stand behind what I do. And I, I did have an experience recently where I sent an interior designer in Nashville that's, you know, pretty well, well known there, like bought 10 of these things and they all showed up beautifully, but somewhere in the process, there must've been some egg in one of these things and there were some bugs in it, you know, and like, I get the call and I figured it out. I worked it, you know, like, I got a local maker, you know, the same way you, you described and he picked up the piece and, and, and they fixed it and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's luckily she was great about it and understands like, Hey, it's wood. This happens. But yeah, so it's, it, it is uh, it's a hard thing, you know, but now I'm getting into this, this aspect of people are, you know, designers are wanting me to put stuff in the Caribbean, in Dubai, all of these places that are really drastically different. So, and big pieces, you know, like bigger than anything I've made before, all out of whole logs. So there might be a, 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 a time where I kind of maybe do them in sections and dry them separately and then put them together. So it looks like one, you know, but which is cool. Honestly, like I love the challenge of these things, you know, I love it. You know, when, like when Gensler asked me to make a 16 foot root diameter system on the ceiling, they said, can you do this? I said, yeah, I never did anything like it before. I had no idea what I was doing. Can you make a 27 foot sculpture or such desk? Sure. No idea what I was doing. So I say yes and then figure it out. It's the way I've always done these things, you know? Take it till you make it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it's, there's a, you know, no one comes into the world, like knowing how to do everything, you know? And, you know, I think if you've like proven yourself enough that you can, you're up for a, a challenge, then, you know, it's kind of sink or swim, you know, and, and mostly swimming, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I love, that's this. awesome. I love, I love the learning curve and like any new thing I'm up for. Cause I'm still, I love, I still love the aspect of learning these things and finding areas where I'm falling in love with more, you know, like fall, totally falling in love with more, just like sculpture, sculpture, some stonework, that's sculpture, you know, and, and I find inspiration from everywhere, you know, whether it's like meditation or reading Carl Jung or listening to, you know, Miles Davis, bitches brew or whatever the hell it is. Like all of this stuff is inspiring. Cause it's like, just jives with me, you know? Okay, so I got to stop you right there. And I'm sorry, to, I hate to have to do this. I hate to have to do this. I really do. It breaks my heart. Um, but it has to be done. So you mentioned Bitches Brew. Yeah. It is, it is my least favorite of everything music. Um, I love <laughs> Miles Davis. I absolutely uh -huh. love Miles Davis. I've had this yeah, conversation. Yeah. Let me back up a second. Yeah. So part of my broadcast background is I used to work for Playboy. I was the general manager and program director for Playboy Radio. I built their digital pure play podcast platform. And part of the benefit, one of the bennies, the true bennies of that job was um, that every year when the jazz festival came through the Hollywood Bowl in LA, mm -hmm. I would get to go. Uh, I like doing that more than I like going and covering any of the events at the mansion. But I got mm -hmm. to go to the Hollywood Bowl, and I got to sit down with these jazz musicians, these artists, these amazing individuals in, in music. Mm. And it's so funny. What, one of the things that I noticed is Bitches Brew is so you get, again, this visceral reaction one way or another. Some people absolutely love it. Some people absolutely hate it. But I've never met anyone who's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's good. It's OK. They either really, really love it or they really, really hate it. There's mm. no in between. And I am just one of those guys like it just I don't know what it is, but it just mm. irritates me to no end. Can't explain it. <laughs> I think I'm. I think I'm an in between guy. I know you said you've never met. Can't so be. Can't be. I think I am. I mean, I kind of. I love it in the sense that, like, 
when I'm listening to it and I'm, and I'm creating something, it's this vast background aspect that's like so abstract and out there that I think it's tapping into something that's like, can you curse on your podcast or no? No. You can say whatever you want. Um, I'm just like, F it, you know, like do it, go for it. Just get weird. It's, you know, like, I don't know. I just like anything kind of weird I'm into, you know, I have like a, on my wall in my shop, there's a big giant uh, round of a, of a, an oak slice and I, and I have little hatchets that I can like ax throw on it. And I spray paint it on, on the oak slice, keep it weird, <laughs> you know? So I'm just like constantly like, what can I do? That's just kind of like freaking out there and bitches brew, whether you love it or hate it, it's kind of freaking out there, you know, like what the hell was Miles Davis doing, you know? And how much of it was he doing at the time? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but to your point, it is one of those things where, you know, and this is a conversation for another time is, you know, the, mm -hmm. the relationship between creativity and music yeah, and creativity of, of all types. And, and I, I think your story is absolutely fantastic. And, um, for those that want to see your work, maybe buy some of your work, but definitely go check it out. Um, there will be a link to your website in the uh, in the show notes. Ian, I absolutely loved our chat. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, me too. Yeah, I would love to do it again sometime. It feels like we're just tapping into a little bit of it. <laughs> if you've been listening to Convo by Design for a while now, you have heard me tell you about Article. Great style. Really, it's as simple as that with Article. Things have been challenging for design professionals and their clients for, what, two years, two plus years now? Y you know this already. What you might not know is that it doesn't have to be if you're looking for exceptionally beautiful modern furniture. Article provides a simple and easy way to creating a beautiful modern space because Article works direct with their manufacturers on production of unique and stunning pieces. Then they work directly by providing this well-crafted design directly to you. This direct relationship means you aren't wondering where your furniture is and you're getting it for an incredible value. What could possibly be better than that? In many cases, the shipping is flat rate, which means no surprises right? Even more, their culture and service are rooted in their core values. Customer obsession, doing it differently, ownership mindset, winning together. If you're a designer, architect, or residential developer, you must check out their trade program. Discounts, special support, and exclusive perks. Article has the beautiful modern furniture you're looking for at an incredible price, at an incredible value, and you need to check them out. Check out article.com, or if you go to the show notes, there is a specific link which will take you, if you're in the trade, directly to their trade program. You have to see it to really believe it. Thank you, Article. Thank you, Ian, for taking some time to share your story. Special thanks to Convo by Design sponsors and partners Thermosol, Moya Living, York Wall Coverings, Franz Wigner, and Article Furniture. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to listen to Convo by Design. I produce this show for you those in the design industry, to hear what others are doing and hopefully provide you with some inspiration to do that thing you do. Remember why and for whom you craft and create. Please subscribe to the show so you don't miss a single episode and you can find us everywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you. Have a great week. Be well and take today first. Mm -hmm.